1: Mich immer weiter durch die zieht. Hi and welcome to Gegenpressing. Yes, we're back. This is the Bundesliga podcast and I'm your host Manuel Veth. And yeah, joined by Stefan Biakowski. Couldn't be here last week. Um, I had an awesome guest, though, so Stefan. Uh, I'm Don't want to say you were not missed because that's an absolute lie. Um, You know, we would have absolutely loved to have you on as well. But I think Derek did a pretty good job replacing you for one episode.
0: Oh, he did a fantastic job. And I can only apologize from the offset to our listeners who have had to trade in the the silky tones of Derek Ray, the voice of the Bundesliga himself, for my dulcet tones. Uh, But I shall do my best. I shall strive to try and match his uh, fantastic insight. It was great to have him on the podcast.
1: Derek is great. I mean, he's he's just a great human being. Um, Just such a lovely person. And we'll we'll work hard to get him on more often. I know he's really keen to come on more regularly. Um, Obviously, he's a very busy man, Stefan. Um, Full-time voice of the Bundesliga. But he's also now doing La Liga as well for ESPN. And so, Mm. obviously can be tricky, but we're going to have him on as often as we can, just because the inside was awesome, wasn't it?
0: Absolutely. Uh, and it's also good just to have different perspectives so people don't have to listen to us moan and rant about the same things every week. So I, mean, I think we've, we've, we've talked about it before, we want to have as many people on. There's so many great people that cover the Bundesliga, mm-hmm. especially on Twitter. Uh, there's a great community of pundits, commentators, writers, even former players who uh, yeah, it'd be great to have them all on, really.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, With that in mind, we should probably have at some point, and I know this wasn't on the agenda, so I'm kind of surprising you with this a little bit. We should probably have on, someone from Norway on soon. Uh, we had Lars Sivertsen on, of course, in the, in the past to... Um, because Dortmund did not play this week, but it seems like Erling Haaland is a story every week, Stefan. Because there is something again, jan ager jagov tweeting cryptically that um, whatever the next step is, Team Haaland has worked carefully to ensure that it is the right step. This is getting old, isn't it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it would be great to get Mr. Fjortov on to talk about it because he obviously knows what's going on behind the scenes, but, um, and he's also just, he's also another fun uh, interesting character with some great insight Uh, but yeah, you know I was quite funny, I was doing some work earlier on which involved me having to quickly jump onto Haaland's Instagram account and he tweeted he didn't tweet, he he posted on Instagram four weeks ago uh, that, you know, he was almost back from recovery and it just goes to show how bizarre this period has been that you know, it just seems to be. It's almost like he's in preseason or off season now. Uh, but it would be it would be the Bundesliga if there wasn't some bizarre story going on at Dortmund.
1: Yeah, um, last year he managed sixty percent of all minutes for Dortmund. I think 63, 64 was the actual number. It's dropped to fifty four this year, Stefan. I mean that that's like that's just. It seems like that the periods of injury every year are getting longer. And like the more there's transfer rumors, the more his absence is. And um, you almost wonder if Team Haaland, as it's now known, looking for a new club, is really them trying to desperately find a destination where they can get the maximum amount of money for, I don't know, like, maybe what is not going to be the longest career for a footballer. Do you have any thought on that?
0: Yeah, possibly. I mean, I can't say anything to his condition or what's going on. I certainly wouldn't want to speculate. Um, The interesting thing about his injuries at Dortmund is it certainly seems as though he's been very careful with his body. He's been very careful with his injuries. you know, if he does get injured, he makes sure he recovers properly from them, he doesn't rush back, which would have been so um, so tempting this season because Dortmund have had so many kind of crunch games, have had so many important games and, you know, even like, for example, the Rangers tie recently, that was when Haaland was planning on being back, but even before that, there was important games in the Bundesliga, so mm. I think there's probably been a number of times this season when maybe an older player or a player with maybe less ambition or less carefully planned career would have maybe rushed back. But it wouldn't surprise me if Haaland and the people behind them are playing the long-term game. They're being very careful with things and they're saying, you know, as much as he obviously wants to play for Dortmund and you can see that in the stands, he's, he, you can see he's going through everything with them, even if he isn't on the pitch. Yeah. Um, You know, he's, he still has to be careful for the long-term. Um, So he doesn't like, you know overwork any injuries or anything so they don't ha- haunt him in the long term
1: yeah it's a, it's a tricky one uh, we'll get an expert on this on in the next couple of weeks I think um, I'll talk to some people maybe Jan Ago or Lars Sievertson can come on and, and talk to us about it. I know both of them very knowledgeable about this um, and it'd be great to get that kind of insight so let's see what we can do um, let's move on to another transfer topic And this, we haven't really talked in depth about Bayern, I think, now for a couple of weeks because of everything else that's been going on, which is probably a good thing because this league isn't just Bayern, but we do need to talk about what's currently going on. And this is their, I mean, there was the game against Leverkusen, the 1-1 draw, um, which was surprisingly flat in some ways, you know, disappointed a little bit especially when you consider how many problems Bayern have in defence. Um, well, Niklas Süle, I guess, he scored, scored the one goal for Bayern. Um, but still, you know, and it's now come to, of course, them trying to find a replacement for Niklas Süle, who is going to Borussia Dortmund. And we now know it, Christensen, isn't it? He's likely chosen Barcelona as his next destination. Um not sure how Barcelona are paying for him, but here we are. Um, do you hear all sorts of stuff with Matthias de Licht? Oliver Kahn, of course, had a meeting with Mino Raiola and that brought up all sorts of speculations that it could be because of Erling Haaland. Um, it, it does sound like it was because of Matthias de Licht, right? The Juventus defender. We would probably be the best option. But, um, Stefan, when you saw this report, and I had to laugh a little bit. Bayern Munich are now looking to change their transfer strategy to become a club that buys, develops players, and then sells them on to make money. Like, is that... I'm sorry, but no. <laughs> I don't think that's happening.
0: <laughs> yeah, the Bayern Munich are going to become Borussia Dortmund. Is that what they're, they're suggesting? Um it's it's an interesting one. I actually said I think the last time I was on the podcast, we kind of briefly talked about Bar, you know, Bar Munich, and I said I had my doubts over their transfer policy over the last couple of seasons. I didn't think Salihamovic or you know, I guess before can um, you know Romaniga or whoever else. I didn't think um, the club had done a great job in the transfer window for the last two or three seasons. Mm. Um, certainly if you look at how they are attempting to replace that Champions League winning team man for man, I don't think they're doing a great job of it. Um And you kind of look at how things are going to play out this summer and it, 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 I think it's going to be a very difficult period for Bayern Munich because you've got Nicolas Sula, who I thought probably looked like their best defender on Saturday against Leverkusen. Not just because he scored a goal, which was tremendous t- technique, by the way, to score the goal he did. It wasn't an easy tap-in by any means. But it's, if you look at that defence, you had, <clears throat> excuse me, you had, you know, Upa Meccano beside him, who almost gifted Leverkusen a goal when he, with his pass back, that Adley failed to convert. Um, you had Richards, who I actually thought struggled throughout much of the game, to be perfectly honest with you. And he Mm -hmm. came off when um, Nagelsmann changed the tactics and you had Benjamin Pavard, who, again, is a perfectly solid player, but he's not. I I don't think he excels in any one particular attribute. Um, And I actually thought it was very telling that maybe about halfway through the second half, Nagelsmann and Bayern clearly decided that they were quite happy just to take a point from this game. And we just don't see that very often from Bayern Munich at all, especially at home, especially against Leverkusen, who they have this historic kind of mental uh, advantage over. It was Leverkusen who were really pushing for that second goal. And, you know, Nagsman Kluh decided, look, I'm going to bring on Sabitzer. I'm going to go through the back. And then eventually he brings on Sar as well. Um and I thought, okay, maybe this is just with one eye on the Salzburg game, and maybe Nagelsmann thinking, we've got enough points at the top of the table, we can take a point from this game. But I also do wonder if it was him thinking, I don't I can't rely on this back line. I cannot rely on this back line to see at this game, so I'm gonna to have to change the tactics around to make sure we're more defensively solid. And a part of that's obviously the fact that Manuel Neuer's missing, but mm-hmm. there's a huge issue in that defense where you could probably argue. I mean, I know Hernandez is missing; he makes a big difference. But just in most weeks for Bayern, I really do think Sula's probably one of their most consistent defenders, and he's leaving. And there was actually a story on in Sport Eins today um, from Kerry, good friend of yours uh, mm-hmm. on, the, on the podcast, and
1: very reliable.
0: Yep. And I don't think I'm mistranslating his story by simply saying that there's concerns about whether Bayern have the finances to go out and get an Antonio Rudiger, whether they have the finances to go out and get a delight, uh, or even a Christensen, who apparently isn't making his wage demands aren't nearly as high as Rudiger's. And Peace basically concluded saying, you know, Bayern may have to compromise and accept someone like Matthias Ginter. Now, I think Ginter's a perfectly good Bundesliga defender but he's not the kind of guy that Bayern or their fans will be hoping could replace Sula um, so that I think puts, it, it kind of shows where Bayern are right now, the tricky situation we talked about this when we did that Twitter Spaces podcast mm-hmm. on uh, and, and in regards to how difficult it would be for Bayern to replace Sula um, and yeah, as things stand uh, it looks like they're in a very tricky position ahead of the summer transfer window
1: there's also a new story in Kicker. Actually, their big story this week is uh, called "14 Plus Nicks, 14 Plus Nothing" um, <laughs> re- regarding Bayern's squad. Um, of course, the suggesting that there's 14 world-class players and the rest isn't anywhere near the standard required. And you know, they're pointing out guys like Omar Richards, uh, Jupu Muting, um, even mentioning Benjamin Herbert and Lucas Hernandez um, Omar Richards having problems with tempo and speed uh, Buna Saar, um is another example of a transfer that's just not working out Uh Nianzu, just nothing um, and then they also mention of course that um, they couldn't go after Achraf Hakimi who they really wanted but they couldn't afford the 45 million euros um, and since have also lost of course on top of that uh, David Alaba and um, they also mentioned Mark Rocker as being um, a terrible replacement for Thiago. And um, yeah, I mean, it, this all adds up, right? The, the, it's been getting increasingly more difficult for Bayern Munich to keep together a squad of 17, 18 world-class players. It's, it's, it's been shrinking um, every season. And as you rightfully pointed out, it's been really hard for them to keep the squad together as it is. And you have, they're having issues with Serge Gnabry's contract renewal as well, Stefan, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and Serge is a guy who can make 16, 17 million euros before tax somewhere else, right? And Niklas yeah. Süle, I mean, um, his wage demands weren't as crazy as Bayern Munich said they were. Um, obviously he did, it seems like he took a cut to go to Dortmund over what he could have earned maybe in England. And um, which I actually find interesting because it looks like this is a move where he wants to show that he can, you know, he wanted a challenge, an actual challenge. And this is not getting easier because there also, there's talks about Robert Lewandowski, like when he's gone, who's going to replace him. And one thought I had about the Fjortoft tweet. We know that when Erling Haaland chooses Real Madrid, right, um, there will be stories published and built that will tell us exactly how much Haaland will earn there, and we know exactly where those stories are coming from, because this will be Bayern Munich defending why they didn't sign him, right? <laughs> we've all been there. We've we've seen this. Like, it was the same with the Sule. Like the, these these the, the exact salary demands will be. Leaked, right? Mm. Um, until we then, of course, find out that the number was actually a lot smaller. And I think this is maybe where that where that tweet was aiming at, because like Fiotr, of course, knows German football quite well, and he knows exactly what's going to come, right? Um, mm. So yeah. yeah, and I, I think it's... this is this is going to be a problem for Bayern.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, it's going to be a huge problem because. There's, there's there is a lot of things coming over the horizon that a relatively inexperienced team of Salihamović and Oliver Kahn have to try and fix. They have to. They have the unenviable task of replacing world class players in, and we're not just talking about the players who have uh, still to leave. We're talking about the players who have already left and they haven't been replaced. I don't think Boateng has been replaced. I don't think David Alaba has been replaced. Um, Tiago certainly hasn't been replaced uh, in terms of what he did on the pitch of course you could argue that Kimmich and Goretzka do a good job when they're both fit, I I agree Um, but (laughs) if Sabica is supposed to be the one who steps in when either of them is unfit then that's not a good transfer Um, there is going to be conditions, there's going to be you know, there is going to be a back and forth over Serge Gnabry. I think he probably will stay, but I think it will end up being a compromise which continues to, you know, trouble troubles Bayern's finances. And actually, I think it was Lothar Mateus who actually made a really astute point a few weeks ago when he said, and I think he was talking about Nicolas Sula, for example, and he basically said Bayern's entire financial system and the way that they structure the team was completely blown out of the water by the signing of Lucas Hernandez. Because mm-hmm. since they brought in Hernandez, everyone has had to be, everyone who's had a contract extension or a new contract has said, well, if he's getting that, I want this. Yeah. And it now means, and this is uh, another really good bit of info in Kerry's article in sport Eins, that there are now eight players in that barn team who are on more than 15 million euros. Um, and there are maybe, what, two or three who are on now more than 20 million? Or maybe it's, it might just be Lewandowski who's on mm-hmm. 20 million or more. Um it's a huge amount of money, though, for a club like Bayern to be spending on, you know, eight players. And the issue is that when someone like Gnabry or someone like Niklas Sula come along and say, you know, I think I'm an important, valuable player of the squad. I want to be paid as much as Kingsley Coleman or Lucas Hernandez. Um, the club have to basically agree to that or they have to replace them. And because Bayern aren't in the, in the business of... Spending ninety million euros on Romelu Lukaku or whoever else, like Chelsea or Man United or whoever else will do. Um, they're in a very unique position, and I think this is this this is kind of almost like all their chickens are coming home to roost now from a signing which they made from Atletico Madrid what four five six years ago, um, and now Salihami and Oliver Kahn are trying to figure out how to fix it. But I, I really think, um, I think it's going to be very interesting to see if they can because it's it's going to be very tricky.
1: Yeah, I think it's the Hernandez signing and the Sunny as well, right? Because mm-hmm. like, yeah, even though Sunny, um came for a lot lesser transfer fee, um, the financial package was insane. His salary was insane, and I think, and you quite rightly say, Coman and Gnabry are looking at this, and he's like, this dude isn't any better than we are. Why, why are we not making this right? Um, yeah, it's a tricky one, and I I think too like you have a couple of players. They're getting into an age where, um, three guys that are getting into the sort of age category where they are going to leave, and that's Müller, Neuer, and uh, Lewandowski. And whether it happens this year, the year after, or the year after that, within this next three years, it's going to happen, and they' not replaceable. You see it with the. I think that an own goal that Müller scores when Neuer is in goal, that's not going to happen because, um, you know, Müller knows not to go for that ball. But with Ulreich, he does because it's just like the, the confidence isn't quite there. So it's it's a really, it's a really going to be a difficult situation. And I think it's good for the rest of the league, to be quite frank with you, because it, it will mean that all of a sudden maybe the rest of the league will actually finally have an opportunity to catch up. Um, and that rest of the league is probably not going to be Dortmund because um, they're going to do Dortmund things. But the likes of Leipzig are going to just look at this and said, like, this is there's an opportunity coming. Hmm. You know, it's maybe in another year or so, but it is coming. And when it happens, we have to be there. Um, yeah. Just briefly, want to touch on the the couple of defenders. I think Ginter is now someone that they're probably going to have to go after because of his wage uh, wage structure. Um, I was actually arguing in another podcast they should maybe also go after John Anthony Brooks because they will have to need one, more than one defender, right? And Brooks isn't world-class or anything, but he mm-hmm. probably would come for relatively little money, has a yeah. ton of experience, speaks the language, It's a free transfer, and he'd be happy to sit on the bench most of the time.
0: Yeah, like, um, like for example, like Dante a few years ago. You know, not an yeah. overwhelmingly great player, but a useful squad player, no doubt.
1: And has Champions League experience. You know, um, Mm -hmm. so you could throw them into a difficult situation for a few games and you know you're going to get something reliable. Again, um, like I said on the other podcast, this is just me saying this would be a smart thing to do. Not that I've heard that this is something that they are trying to do. Um, I (laughs) want to just point that out. Not that someone like all of a sudden writes an article saying, Manuel Weff said on Gegenpressing that they are going after John Anthony Brooks. No, this is just me saying it might not be a bad idea. And then this Bremer from Torino, was actually a really good player. Mm. Um, really fast. Had people compare him to Lucio, who, of course, played for Bayern Munich, right? Mm. Um, 24. Look, if you can get someone like that for 20 to 30 million, I think you have to do it. You yeah. have to do it.
0: Yeah. I. I the, the thing is, I'm not quite sure about is... If if Bayern Munich are in the situation that Kerry's article suggests there, and I have no reason to doubt his, his journalism,
1: mm.
0: you would think that they must be sitting there thinking, look, there's an easy solution to this. We we phone up Freiburg and say, here's 25 million euros for Schlotterbeck. and they suddenly have a young, talented player, um, you know, who didn't cost a huge amount of money in transfers. Would probably ask for about what six, seven, eight million euros, maybe in salary, and he, alongside of Meccano, okay, maybe they're not the most experienced defensive um line in the world, but Nagelsmann has a long history of developing young players. In mm-hmm. fact, his entire managerial career has been based around getting the best out of young players. So, um, you know, if you were to ask him if he would rather have Schlotterbeck or you know, um, like you said, a John Anthony Brooks or maybe an older player who they can get for free, he would probably prefer someone like Schlotterbeck and o- yeah. over the course of like four or five years he would probably end up being much cheaper than a Christensen or a Whittaker so I know um, Schlotterbeck himself has said he doesn't want to talk about anything and he's not going to consider anything until the summer and there does still seem to be some suggestions that Dortmund are leading the chase with him but he seems to be like the smartest move right now for Bayern. Um, I know Brenner looks like a decent player. I haven't seen much of him. I don't cover mm-hmm. a huge amount of Italian football, but from a Bundesliga perspective, if they are if they if they are being forced into going down the route of finding young players, developing them, turning them into world class players, then Schlotterbeck would be a great place to start.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, and this <laughs> would have been this that would have that's what Hoonis would have done. Mm. But I sometimes wonder if they overcomplicate things now at the Sebener Straße under Hassan um, yeah. and Khan, rather than like go for the straightforward, most sensible solution. It has to be this fancy guy that no one knows um, in the mid-table English second division or in France because it looks like the out-of-box transfer that is without a doubt going to fail, going by the track record that we have seen. You know, you look at, like, Nianzu, Omar Richards, uh, Mark Rocker. These were the sort of -of out-of-box transfers. That's, like, them going Borussia Dortmund light without having the actual scouting network to do it. Rather than say, here's, here's like, a proven defender in the Bundesliga. Here's a proven defender in Serie A. Yes, these are the guys we need to sign. They go after the guy who's playing for Reading. That's... Sort of the feeling I have, you know, because um, youtube he looked good on YouTube. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it feels like that sometimes. It's just like maybe they're just overcomplicating things. Hurnes wouldn't have done that. He would have just signed the best guy from Karlsruhe or Stuttgart or, you know, one of those teams. And it always works. It always works, you know. Um, and it seems like they're almost trying a little bit too hard at the moment. Um, difficult fixture for them. Midweek, Stefan, to go to the European games. We have quite a few interesting European games involving Bundesliga teams. Bayern have to beat Salzburg at home. Um, Covid just went through Red Bull, didn't it? I think they had 19 cases at some point last week. Um, not the best situation for them, but yet that's still going to be a difficult game for them to win.
0: Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I was just reading the the, the quotes from Salzburg's manager, uh, just before we came on to record the podcast, there and he was being very, you know, diplomatic, saying that all the pressures on Bayern Munich here, and I think it's true. Um, mm. You know, I think if you are Salzburg and you are watching that game against Leverkusen, you thought, okay, great, this we're well, not great. This this Bayern team certainly know how to attack, but they they didn't look fit. Uh, they didn't look sharp. I actually thought Leverku, eh, Leverkusen. I thought Lewandowski and Thomas Müller looked very, very jaded and tired and completely out of sync with each other. Um, obviously Müller scored an own goal, so that's proof of itself. But on the whole, I mean, how often do we see Thomas Müller getting pulled off in the second half? Um, and obviously we've we've just talked about the defensive problems. So, you know, I don't think this game is you know, a, 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 an easy win for Bayern at all. I think they're going to have to be very, very careful here because, as I've said to you in the podcast before, you know, if they get knocked out of the competition too early, it's a huge amount of pressure on Nagelsman. There's a lot... The, the, at this point in the season, though, now the, the, the Polkow's gone and the, the, the league's all but confirmed. And that's not because of Bayern's success. It's basically because of Dortmund's failure. Bayern Munich fans are looking to this Champions League run to say, right, let's see what Nagelsmann can really do. Let's see how good this team really is. And, you know, there's maybe honour in getting knocked out in the semi-finals by Manchester City or, you know, uh, a Liverpool. But to slip up against Salzburg, who, you know, very well put together, a very hard-working side, very smart team, but a team that Bayern Munich really should be beating 99 out of 100 times, if they make really tough work of that, and that's when the moans and groans start to come. I think so. This is a huge banana skin for Bayern, and they're going to have to be much better, I think, than they were against Leverkusen to make sure they get through it.
1: I have a ton of time for Salzburg. Honestly, they're such a well-run club and so well-coached, and um, I think they're going to—they're going—they have the potential to really hurt Bayern in this game. Um, so I, I am, I'm i tremendously looking forward to it because I think it's going to be a spectacle. Um, fans back in the Allianz Arena. There's, there's one final thing that I want to maybe say about the Allianz Arena. Um, I hope the atmosphere is going to be better than for the Leverkusen game. It's, it was mute. Really bad. So quiet. I think it was actually more quiet in this game than it was for um, when we had the ghost game, Stefan.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Like, but yeah, maybe it's a better for the Champions League. I, I know people are still getting used to going back to games. So maybe they have to just relearn how to be fans. But I just hope the atmosphere... Best- because it was amazing in Salzburg for the first leg. So yeah, hopefully better. Um, we have also two really interesting games in the Europa League this week. Um, the first one being Betis against Frankfurt on Wednesday. So um Important here, this game is on Wednesday, not on Thursday, um, because technically there's, there's still three German teams in this competition. Leipzig, of course, getting a bye to the next round because of the Russia's uh, aggression against the neighbour Ukraine. Spartak Moscow have been eliminated, um, which means Leipzig have given, were given a bye uh, to the next round. So the Frankfurt game will be on Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we get Atalanta against Leverkusen. You know what? Those are two really attractive games, and um, let's start with the the betters Frankfurt. We've seen betters this week, this this competition already against Leverkusen. Um, we talked about it before the podcast, and I was like, I was saying to you, oh, I feel like I've seen betters already this year. <laughs> um, I couldn't really put it together until I realized it was doing the group stage against Leverkusen, and Leverkusen looked very good against them. So this is, I think. One of those draws where you say, as a German team, very attractive but doable, right?
0: Yeah, no, no. Leverkusen looked terrible against them. Leverkusen got thumped four nil of Betis. So
1: did they? Uh, did they? But they won one of the two, didn't they? Man, they this year them. has been—it's been a long season.
0: Oh yeah, it's been a huge. We actually had to sit there and figure this out before the podcast because it's so many, fo- so much football condensed into so many games. But it's going to be a really interesting game, I think, because. <laughs> I'm I, still struggling to put a, a complete picture together for this Frankfurt side. You know, yeah. on the whole, I think Lazars done a good job. Um, they looked like they'd really turned a corner, you know, towards the end of last season, and towards the end of last year, rather. Um, and, you know, they were really beginning to, to click into place. And then January happens, and all of a sudden, okay... There's that, there's, there's that uh, comeback defeat against Borussia Dortmund, which seemed to just completely knock them out because after that, they drop points to Augsburg, they lose to Mainz. And, you know, even in the last couple of weeks, we've seen them lose to Wolfsburg and Cologne. Um, mm-hmm. And then we had this game against Hertha the weekend when I thought they looked fantastic. and But I'm still trying to figure out whether you know, is, is this Frankfurt back to Frankfurt or is this just Frankfurt playing a Hertha Berlin side that honestly would lose to most pub teams at the moment? And yeah. I really think this midweek clash against Betis will be a perfect example, will be a perfect test for them because, you know, I've kind of, I have really been quite hesitant about Frankfurt in the last couple of weeks about their form. They look like a club that are classically just kind of stuck in mid-table with very little left to play for. I know there's maybe a push for... Uh, European football and things, but it, it it I'm just I'm just really struggling to gauge whether they're in form or not. It's just one it's hot and cold, it's hot and cold. You got guys like Bore, the striker, who you know, for what, six weeks couldn't stop scoring, and then I think he he, he scored a consolation goal. It was a good finish against Hertha, but that's his first goal I think in about maybe seven or eight games. So Yeah, I don't know things. I'm not entirely convinced by Frankfurt at the moment, and I think they're probably going to have to be very good to beat this Betis side, who look quite decent. Um, I know they've maybe began to tail off this season, but they gave Leverkusen a very good game. Um, But yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say here is we'll find out if Frankfurt are actually on form or if they've just been absolutely. They just beat a good Hertha side this week or terrible Hertha side this weekend uh, when they play Betis.
1: Yeah, Frankfurt has been odd. Um, The one thing I need to maybe add though, Stefan is that they absolutely love this competition. Hmm. They're very, very good in cup competitions, period. And they were the last team, the last German team, or really the only German team in the last 10 years that had a decent run in the Europa League and were one penalty away from making the final against Chelsea, right? Um, and I feel like every year that they they are in the Europa League, you just know that they're going to show up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like some teams just love certain competitions. And for some odd reason, this team is built for knockout games. They have the attitude for knockout games. And, um, because of that, I just think that they're like, they, they have a pretty good chance of getting a good result there. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm at the same time, I'm with you. <laughs> um, it's 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 really you know. I at times this year I was just thinking they are so good. They play such great football, and um, then they have bad performances for a few weeks, um, and then they show up against Hertha and smash them for one. But as you said, you and I could probably show up with our friends and beat Hertha at the moment. And we're going to talk about Hertha a little bit further down. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting. Let's talk briefly about At- Atalanta against Leverkusen as well, because Leverkusen, of course, with, with a decent performance against Bayern. Mm. Um, but here's another side. And yes, you're right. You, they lost 4-0 to Betis and they drew them 1-1. Mm. Um, I don't know. Atlanta, <laughs> Atalanta are very good. Yeah. They're one of those they they're probably this they they're the equivalent. I kinda of compare them with, with Frankfurt a little bit in Italy, right? Like they're, they're a team that has a lot of tradition and history that for years weren't really weren't really in the picture. And now all of a sudden um have emerged and they're really well run, do a really good job finding players, develop them and move them on, right? Under Gian Piero Gasparini. Um this is going to be an attractive fixture, I think, with lots of really interesting players on both sides playing. Um, of course, all the eyes are going to be on Florian Wirtz um, for this one. But yeah, what are your expectations for this game?
0: Yeah, it's going to be a really interesting one because, I, I, <clears throat> again, I, I wasn't quite sure what to make of Leverkusen's performance against Bar Munich because on the one hand, they obviously did enough to win a draw or to take a draw or to win a point rather against the Bayern. But I actually didn't think a number of their players played particularly well. Um Obviously they decided to go with this kind of strikerless system, which kind of led to Florian Verst or Adley playing as a false number nine. And For much of the game, I did wonder, okay, maybe this is working because it means they've got one extra player in midfield. Um, You know, it seemed as though they're putting a lot of pressure on Kimmich in the middle of the park. Bayern maybe struggling to, you know, play with the kind of same tempo that they usually do. But at the same time, I thought it was probably Florian Verst's worst performance of the season because he's been asked to play as a striker, and but he, that's just not the type of player that he is. And more often than not, he was completely isolated from the rest of Leverkusen's side. He ends up getting pulled off halfway through the second half. He looks furious. And I can completely understand why, because he had to play this entirely selfish role of um, basically doing nothing for much of the match. And I, I really did think... Um, it, it even though maybe the overall system worked, it didn't get the best out of Verts. And while maybe you can maybe you can justify that when you're away to Bayern Munich, if you know if, if Leverkusen go with a similar system against Atalanta, I just don't see it working very well because they have to basically play to their strengths in games like this. And Bayern, uh, Bayern Leverkusen's strengths are scoring goals, hitting teams in the counter attack. They need Verts twenty feet further back to help create the chances, create the plays, you know, score and create goals. So it'll be interesting to see if they go back to a more kind of traditional system. If we see someone like a Lario come into the side,
1: mm.
0: um, provide some sort of an outlet. Um, and and yeah, but again, because, because the, <laughs> this is the kind of weird thing about Leverkusen. For this whole season, they've been very good at scoring goals and very bad at defending them. But... On Saturday against Bayern Munich, they were very bad at trying to score goals, although they did have their chances. They, they had a number of chances. I think they actually finished maybe with a higher XG than Bayern Munich. So maybe I'm just being completely proved wrong there by the manager or the head coach. Um, but then also a team that had been fairly poor at defending much this season, actually, I thought did relatively well, except for a complete brain fart from Jonathan Tao, which led to Niklas Sula's goal. So it was a weird performance from Leverkusen. Black was white, white was black. Um, but I would very much like to see them be, go back to what has done them well this season okay maybe an isolated tactical experiment worked in Munich but I think they have to go all guns blazing in this game and just really play the way play to their strengths
1: yeah it was the XG Stefan was 1.97 to 1.95 oh wow so close mm. um,
0: which so, is so uncommon for a Bayern Munich game in Munich. Yeah,
1: it's, it actually is very much. Um, yeah, I, I assume that Asmund, um is going to be is going to be back. Uh, is when we gonna get some time for this and Alario, um, maybe get some time as well. Uh, Schick, of course, is going to be the one that's missing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And with autumn it's a little bit harder. And the Italian teams are so disciplined. That you almost want to play with a number nine, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they give Asmund some time here um, to finally get some some meaningful minutes for Leverkusen after coming on from com, coming in from Zenit Saint Petersburg, right? Um, and I think going with a proper number nine, and I, I'm with you. I think it was situational that they said, okay, we're playing against Bayern Munich, let's try this because we don't have Sheik, so let's try this this formation because it was oddly oddly and. Yabi up front, right? Mm-hmm. It, and I like kind of like a flat three without a proper number nine. Yeah. I don't know if that's going to work against Atalanta. So, um, a bit of a different outlook, maybe with a proper number nine, uh, will be, will be good to see. And then, I mean, I'm tremendously looking forward to both these games, uh, in the Europa League. Um, I'm, I'm personally a big fan of the Europa League. I think it's a competition that especially at this stage is fascinating to watch. Right. Mm. um, just because you get such a mix of different teams from different countries as well, which is not what we get in the Champions League where it's always the same teams. Um, Let's move this on to relegation. And I'm an idiot. I should have actually talked about Frankfurt second because then we could have talked about how badly Hertha are and move it straight in transition to (laughs) the relegation battle. But I flipped the matches and therefore I ruined the transition But here we are. Um, You and I both were saying before the show that Hertha are in an immense amount of trouble. And if I picked my team to go straight down other than third, I think it would be Hertha. I mean, um, they're just so bad. (laughs) (laughs) They're really, really bad. And uh, Bobic said yesterday that they're going to hang on to um, Korkut, Typhoon Korkut. It's like, why? Yeah. Why are you doing that? It's, it's, frankly speaking, it's not working. You are on the descendancy. You know, you're currently sinking faster than, than the Titanic. And Stuttgart looked very good on the weekend. And I th- I'm still, I, I've maintained this now for weeks, that Stuttgart will not go straight down. Is they only need a three or four games and they will be out of there. Mm-hmm. And now with Kaleicic coming back and looking better, that's going to happen sooner rather than later, right? Like why not make that change, Stefan, at the head coaching position for Hertha?
0: Well, it might just simply come down to the fact that they don't have any options. Um, and the reason that they went with him in the first place is because they didn't have any options because that, that, that club, that team, have been such a mess for so long that it just has relegation written all over it. I think if you'd maybe asked Bobic maybe, you know, what, four months ago, he would have probably said, yeah, we're a mess, but there are so many teams below us that are so much worse. And we've said ourselves on this podcast a number of times this season that these kind of mid-table teams can get away with it because Greta Furt are always going to be the bottom, Bielefeld to be around them too, and maybe an Augsburg or someone or Stuttgart will, you know make up numbers and make sure there's enough of a buffer to stop mm-hmm. the likes of Gladbach, Wolfsburg, Frankfurt, Mainz, whoever else, from getting dragged into this. However, what we've seen in the last kind of, what, maybe five, ten match days is that these teams that were, looked dead for much of the first half of the season have kind of come to life. And, you know, we're suddenly seeing Augsburg pick up points, uh, you know, if you want to talk about the last 10 games, Greuter Furt have picked up more points than Gladbach, Stuttgart, Hertha Berlin. Uh, you know, I thought Derek made a very good point about armenia Bielefeld. I took completely agree with him. And he said, if you look at those teams, who has a, something about them? Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I think he's right in saying that Belefeld certainly do seem to have something about them. And Stuttgart, who have been waiting all season for their star players to return from injury, finally have their key striker back, Kaladzic. I I think, on his day, Kladzic is one of the best strikers in the Bundesliga. I really, really do. He's just got so much about him. He's huge. He can head home. He he can create goals. I thought his finish, actually, um, for Stuttgart's goal uh, against Gladbach was tremendous. He also technically set up the second goal, uh, but he didn't get an assist for it because it... I, I can't remember what happened with it, but it wasn't technically an assist, but he basically did all the hard work to set up. So... He's, I mean, he is literally sitting on one goal, one assist in his last two games, um, but he could be sitting on two assists in a goal. So to have someone like that come back and slowly but surely begin to look like his old self up front must be so inspiring for a Stuttgart team that built so much of their, their tactics around him. You know, you've got like Bernasosa on the left flank who, mm-hmm. you know, his entire game plan is built around curling balls into the box for a target man. So you'd think the two of them would hit it off before the end of the season. Uh, And then obviously, if you want to kind of extend it even further, you can look at Wolfsburg and Bochum, who, you know, Bochum have always done very well at home this season. Wolfsburg look as though they're beginning to kind of turn a corner and pick up some points. And basically, if you look at those bottom six or seven teams, it's Hertha and Gladbach who just continue to look hopeless, I think. Um, And Gladbach probably have enough about them to stay out of the relegation spot. I still think it's probably too late for Fort. they are kind yeah. of shown, a, shown some life, but it's a little too late now in the day, I think. Maybe I might be, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd love to be uh, mistaken, um, you know, especially I think my brother will as well, who's a huge Celtic fan. And for <laughs> Christmas, I actually imported uh, a Fort, um training top form and, he's, and he loves it. But I haven't had the heart to tell him that they're almost certainly getting relegated this season because <laughs> he, he, he never looks at the, the Bundesliga like table. So it'd be nice if they stay up for his sake. Um, but yeah, I don't have much hope for them. But I think it's going to be them and Hertha that get relegated because Hertha just look horrendous and there's just no signs of life at all.
1: Two points in the Rückrunde. So eight games, um, just two points. They said, if you just take the Rückrunde tabelle, so the second half of the season table, hmm. Hertha are dead last with just two points and a goal differential of minus 17. Wow. That's brutal. Um, and also to sort of reiterate what you said earlier about Frankfurt, um, they, Frankfurt is 16th with seven mm-hmm. points in the Rückrunde. That's a pretty balanced uh, goal differential. Third, 13th, nine points. Uh, since the start of the Rückrunde, the airhead of Augsburg, Gladbach, Frankfurt, and Stuttgart. Hmm. So, there you got it. You know who's first? Leipzig, uh, 19. <laughs> but that's a part of the table that we're not going to talk about right now. Um, yeah, I, I, it's it is interesting. I, I find when you look at the the relegation battle, it always it it, it at this We're getting now to a point I think where we have the teams cemented that are fighting to stay alive. And for me, it's that's uh, Gladbach, Augsburg, Bielefeld, Hertha, Stuttgart, Fürth. Because I think Wolfsburg, no team has ever gone down um, with 40 points. But, you know, that's always the magic number in German football, isn't it, Stefan? The mm-hmm. 40 points, if you get there, you save. But the reality is no one has really ever gone down with 36 or 38 either. So mm-hmm. um, you look at... Frankfurt, for example, they are 34, right? Um, you look at Bochum, they are 32. Like, honestly, Bochum are going to get two more wins. They, it's just going to happen. And even Wolfsburg, you know that they're going to manage three more wins out of yeah. the last nine games. But then everyone else is in trouble. Could yeah.
0: can I, can, can I just jump in with some breaking news here, actually? As we record, uh, Arnie Friedrich, who was the executive board member at Hertha, has just done a Twitter thread, which I was just skimming as you were talking there. Uh, and he's leaving already. So he was already planning on leaving the club in the summer. Uh, huh. but, it, but it looks as though it's an early termination of his contract at Hertha, which, you know, just adds further context to this absolute circus right now at the club, where there's just things coming and going, and nobody seems to know what's going on. And it just seems to be chaos. Week in, week out.
1: That's interesting. You know why that's interesting? Because that indicates to me that he wanted change now and he didn't get it.
0: Yeah. So you think this is a response to Bobic's comments at the weekend?
1: It's within 24 hours.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Right. Um, wow. Yeah, interesting one. I mean, maybe we'll get to talk about some change at next week. <laughs> <laughs> Um, this is such an interesting story because of course there's there's all that money that they wasted from the the Windhorst millions and of course Windhorst is um, somewhat affected by the war by Russia's war on Ukraine Um, and so we'll we'll see how much more money they're going to really get from that and Bobich, I spoke to him late last year where he said all that money is now gone Uh, it's all wasted on various projects and so I don't know. It's one of those things where you just like, uh, I just continuously shake my head when it comes to Hertha mm. because this is a club with so much potential. Um, in one of the cities with the biggest potentials in Europe when it comes to football, and they're just squandering it. And you know what? The, the there is a positive though when it comes for people who live in Berlin, it looks like they finally got a proper Bundesliga side in Union, yeah. And, um, they this is of course adds to Hertha's predicament because that also means them there might not there might be a point where they affirm the Berlin's number 2 despite all the money the big stadium and all that and that danger is getting even bigger because of course Union Berlin are in the semi-final of the DFB Pokal and they could become the first Berlin based club since 1994 to make the final of the DFB Pokal <laughs> That team was part of Hertha, the club, but was not Hertha Berlin. (laughs) (laughs) It was Hertha Berlin's amateur side that made the final in 1994 and they lost 1-0 to Bayer Leverkusen, um, which is a great story in itself. And one day we'll have to do a special on that and maybe get some guests on to interview. But yes, the last time a club from Berlin made the final, it was Hertha Berlin's amateur side, so their reserve side. Back then, reserve sides were still allowed to play in the Pokal and they made it all the way to the final. Um, Union Berlin could now become the first team since that, since 1994 to reach the final in Berlin as a club based in Berlin. Hmm. Um, and that, I think, would be pretty telling on where the power now lies in Berlin-based football, right, Stefan?
0: Oh, yeah, it'd be a huge story if Union Berlin were lifting the Pokal as... Well I suppose it'd be shortly after maybe Hertha got relegated. <laughs> relegated. Um, it'd be it would just be incredible history, but I I must admit, as 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 safe as Union are, I don't actually think they've looked very good recently. Um, but it was a very, very kind of laboured performance. I watched their game against St. Pauli and you know it was two teams really slugging it out. It was a proper cup match. Um, but I, I don't have, I don't hold a huge amount of hope for them to get past Leipzig. Um, I'm, I, I would love to see either Union or Hamburg reach the final. Um, no offense to Freiburg or RB Leipzig, but I just think it'd be so much more interesting if Union or Hamburg reached it, as opposed to you know Freiburg Leipzig, which is just kind of like another just another kind of Bundesliga fixture, isn't it? I'm sure Freiburg fans would disagree with that entirely, um, but. Yeah, I'm just looking for something a little different at this point in the season, I guess. But I, I still don't really hold out much hope for Union, I must admit. But it'd be quite something if they did go on and win it.
1: We have to, of course, point out of this four teams left in the semi-final, only Hamburg have won the competition previously. Hmm. I find that very intriguing. Um, you know, people have all sorts of thoughts about bringing playoffs to German football you look at the Pokal, it gives you a good reason for it every year. Um, <laughs> it's it's just, I, I love it. I, I just look at this and I, I think, you know, this is, this is tremendous um, that we have these four teams at this stage of the Cup and I, I mean, even if Hamburg do make the final, I think they haven't, the last time they won was 84, if I'm correct. Hmm. So it's been almost 40 years, right? So um either way it's going to be a great story and uh my gut feeling stefan is that we're going to see freiburg and leipzig in the final which would actually be a really good game we saw we saw that game on the weekend yeah and uh, it was tremendous and it was really balanced freiburg have been playing fantastic football and they have never won a major title in their history. Period, and neither have Leipzig. Um, and they've been, Leipzig, of course, have been chasing. And for Leipzig, it would be the second final. Um, I was at their last final when they played Bayern Munich, a game that they should probably should have won. Um, and Neuer was tremendous. Um, mm-hmm. Stood on his head and won it for Bayern. But I think, you know, in terms of um, in terms of the spectacle and the and the football on the field, I think it'd be a tremendous final between those two teams.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It'd be. I, I'm actually really looking forward to it. It's, it's nice to have something completely different from the standard Bayern Munich or Borussia Dortmund. Um, we've kind of been talking about it quite a lot recently, kind of looking forward to it because at this point in the season, domestically there's not a huge amount to get excited about because obviously Bayern looked to happily win the, another league title so it's it's going to be interesting and as you said whoever does go on and win it will be it it will be history it'll be history no matter what happens even i know we've said hamburg but for a lot of people who covered or not cover who watched german football and follow german football hamburg as a big team as a big successful team is just an alien concept which <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy <laughs> but it's the truth you know they are they are completely they're a fallen giant a uh, sleeping giant if you want to be more um plight. Um but I, I I I would love to see I you know, I you know it I I have got a lot of time for Hamburg as a city, I've got a lot of time for Hamburg as a club. They've got a huge, huge support. Uh and those fans have gone through so so much. So I know you're saying Freiburg or Leipzig, but or Onion of course, but I don't know. I'm I, I guess I'm maybe talking myself into Hamburg here. I'd love to see it would be great to see that that stadium full of hamburg fans as well because they would just they would fill it 10 times over if they could um so in terms of
1: fans in terms of fan experience mm-hmm. on what we're going to see off the field hamburg against berlin would be ideal
0: <laughs> yeah are you saying but... that because rb leipzig have no fans
1: no like no they have <laughs> lots of fans i mean i think people make that joke but um, I mean Hamburg against Leipzig. Uh, Hamburg against Leipzig would be the same. Uh, Leipzig is not very far from Berlin. Um, neither is Hamburg. Really, it's only two hours by train. Mm. And you just know that they're going to flood Berlin. Um, mm. Freiburg is very far from Berlin, and it is a small club. They, the the Freiburg fans would be the first to admit it, right? Mm. Um, so. They would fill the stadium, but it wouldn't be. They wouldn't invade the city of Berlin. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. right? So, I I personally think if we do get Hamburg against Berlin, oh boy! I mean, we'll hopefully be there, right, Stefan? I mean, that's sort of the plan that we have been kind of forging in the background a little bit that we're like hopeful to actually go to Berlin for this final? I, I don't know. What 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 was your favorite pairing? What would you rather see? <sighs> and we were completely unbiased, of course. This is I, just... Well,
0: yeah, that's the thing. I, I really don't have any preferences, to be honest. I, I, I think I have kind of taught myself into Hamburg, even though it'd be nice to see Freiburg obviously get to a final. Um, mm. I, but then also part of me thinks Tedesco taking Leipzig to a... And, and go on to win a cup would probably be quite fitting for him because... His team just looks so unstoppable right now. They are just a easy, comfortable favourites us, I think. Um but I don't know, maybe a Hamburg Union final would be perhaps the most romantic option, I'll put it that way. Um so and maybe the funniest one because I think a Hamburg versus Leipzig would I think that'd be over very quickly, I'll put it that way. <laughs>
1: That is, that's true. I think it'd be very one-sided. And we don't, of course, know. And I think next week, maybe we'll have to dive into the second Bundesliga and talk about that promotion race because it's absolutely insane. So we'll keep that for next week, um, especially as Bayern are wrapping things up. Maybe um, we'll have to have a Twitter space at some point soon, depending on what Bayern do against Salzburg. So we'll keep that in mind as well. But yeah, Stefan, I think we're out of time. Uh, as always, this was a ton of fun. Um, getting my mind off real-life events of course as always is always good so yeah before you go anything that you want to point out
0: uh not a huge amount just thank you once again to everyone who listens we always appreciate it um and yeah i guess we'll see you next week i suppose
1: (laughs) absolutely and until next week off Wiedersehen